always appreciate Matt saying that the Ten Commandments weren't for us. The law was not intended for us. I'll just say this, that this wasn't written to you. This was not written to you. Uh, It's for you. It's for you. It's God's gift to us. If God is to reveal himself to us, it's through this word and through his creation, which is you. But when I say that, it it takes me to where we are today in 1 John chapter 4, because what this letter is, is uh, John has written a letter to the church, the believers that are in Crete, because they're being hammered by the by the Gnostics, by the Gnostics. And the Gnostics, they believe some really funky things. Uh, they believe that matter is evil and that everything is spiritual, so Jesus couldn't really be here incarnate on this earth because then he would be evil. And so they were teaching this false false doctrine of Jesus, this false doctrine of a Savior, of the Messiah. And John's writing this letter to the church saying, you guys, this is what Matt was saying, you guys know what you've been taught. Know the doctrine, the reality that Jesus was real. Now, the thing here is this, is like if this is written in 64, 65 A.D., it's only 35 years after Jesus walked on the earth. So Jesus was more a reality then than he is today. But he's probably spoken about more today than he was back then. So we start in 1 John chapter 4. He says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is what Matt was just saying, is that he gets angry listening to podcasts and radios of different pastors and stuff like that, because it doesn't line up with what he knows and teaches. When John is talking about spirits here, he's not talking about a supernatural spirit. He's talking about the human spirits, which were in these Gnostic people. He's literally talking about them, the human spirits, and each human spirit is about something being in Adam or Christ. That if it's in Adam, they don't believe in Jesus yet, but if it's in Christ, they believe in Jesus He says right there, there, he says, do not believe. When he says do not, that's a present imperative with a negative particle, which usually means to stop the act that is already in process. Just stop. You guys, stop this. Stop believing what they're trying to sell you. You know what the truth is. Christians tend to accept three things. One is that they except strong personalities. Like, let's just say it, the, the megachurches, it's usually the pastor that has a strong teaching personality. And the other thing that they accept is logical arguments. If we can speak logically about something, then we can accept that. And then the third thing that Christians accept is miraculous events. 
the miraculous events that you may see today may occur in a healing, may occur in a recovery, may occur miraculous events. So John's really writing right here both to combat the false teachers, but also to encourage the true believers. And today, reading his word, you can be encouraged. You can be encouraged by what he's saying to this church because you can relate. It's not much different today than it was back in 65 AD. We're still getting false messages about Christianity. You tie it into politics and it gets really, really messed up. Like, you can't see the light from the darkness messed up. And he's saying, guys... Remember what you've been taught. The Gnostics denied that Jesus came in the flesh and therefore he wasn't of God. And he's calling those who reject this humanity of Christ, he's calling them antichrist. They are against Christ. He does use several tests. He used this doctrinal test. And we can go back, and he uses a lifestyle test, and then he lose, uses a, a social test. Like, the doctrinal test is, we know that Jesus walked here. We know that Jesus died. We know. For you, you have this. They didn't have this. They did have his letter. But they didn't have this there. It was word of mouth. And they talked about Jesus. But the whole lifestyle test is could they could they love could they love just as jesus did and the social thing was were they recognized for their love were they did did people know them by their love through the incarnation god announces his divinity is compatible with our humanity think about it if if jesus wouldn't come here in human form in humanity, incarnate, in flesh, it allowed us to see divinity and humanity combined together. And it allowed us to be close to God. If, if, if that wasn't the case, we'd have a distant God and no one would seek the union with his creation. They couldn't, couldn't understand it. In verse 2, he says this, This is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. The Holy Spirit is always going to magnify Jesus. He's like saying, it's all about Jesus. You go to 1 Corinthians 12, 3, it says, Therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. What's different about you who are believers here in this room? You believe that Jesus is the Savior. You believe that he's the Lord, the Messiah, he died for your sins. Is that you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And you literally can read this text. Read this text and understand it because there's a spirit inside of you. If you don't believe in Jesus, you don't have that spirit. And the stuff that we're reading and saying hardly makes any sense to you. It doesn't. He's, he's literally said that Jesus is cursed. If you don't have the spirit of God, you will say Jesus is cursed. But if you have that spirit, you can literally say Jesus is Lord. 
and mean it and know what that means. He says in verse 3, but every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Again, he's talking about the Gnostics. Go back to 65. You can relate it here. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming. Even now, it is already in the world. We have people that are against Jesus in the world, believe it or not. This is the essential doctrinal test for the false teachers. Do they teach Jesus, or are they against Jesus? This is literally what he's saying. You have to go back to the basics. It's the bare assertion is that Jesus is fully human. He walked here on this earth. He was the perfect sacrifice. And when he says this, the perfect tense affirms that Jesus' humanity was not temporary, but it was, it was permanent. Like, he's for real right now. This wasn't a minor issue for him. This was what it was all about. Jesus is truly one with humanity and one with God. He says, verse 4, you believers, he's talking to the believers, the church, you believers are from God, little children, and you have conquered, overcome them. Talking about the Gnostics, you've overcome them. John's concern now is with the Christian's victory over sin and the devil. He is associating the Gnostics with unbelief and with the evil one. He uses these terms six times in 1 John. Eleven times he uses it in Revelation and once in his gospel, talking about having conquered and overcome being victorious. This term for victory right here was used only once in Luke and twice in Paul's writings. But John, he talks about it consistently, being conquerors over the evil one. He says, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. How many times have you quoted that passage? The term world right here, obviously in 1 John, we've talked about it already, but it has this negative connotation to it. Talking about human society and organized functioning really apart from God. They have more to do with the world than they do with godly things. It's talking about a fallen human society, and it's trying to meet all their needs apart from God. I hope you realize that's hard to do. You might be able to do it for a while. I say this all the time. Some of you are really good about doing that, meeting the needs, meeting your needs apart from God because you're well-disciplined. And you can do that for a while, but good luck with that because it'll eventually fail. He's really talking about fallen humanity's collective independent spirit. I got this. An example that he referred to is Cain back in chapter 3. John's really addressing spiritual warfare in this Gnostic context. Like, there's a battle that's going on in this world. There's no question about it. He affirms that believers have overcome Satan. Because Christ indwells them. Verse 5, it says, They, talking about the false prophets, the Gnostics, are from the world. Therefore, what they say is from the world. And the world listens to them. The Gnostics were not of God. They were of the world. This was seen in their rejection of Jesus' humanity. 
Verse 6, it says, we, talking about John and the disciples, those that were believing in Jesus, are from God. Anyone who does who knows God listens to us, and anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. Obviously, Matt said it up here, he can recognize true preachers and teachers by both the content of their message and who hears and responds to them. Now, hey, I'm not going to sit here and say we're the only ones that are teaching the right thing around here. The gospel of Jesus is all I care about. And the gospel of Jesus is being taught all around us in this community. I'm not degrading any other church organization around us because as long as they're teaching Jesus, I'm good with that. Because that's all it is. It's Jesus. We're all on the same team. I'm friends with those pastors They think what we do here is weird because it's different than what they do. I think what they do is weird because it's different than what we do. Who cares how we do it? Who cares? Just teach Jesus. That's it. He says, dear friends, let us love one another. That's a lifestyle thing. Let us love one another because love is from God, not human philanthropy or pity or emotion, but it's from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The term knows right here, it reflects the the Hebrew sense of an ongoing intimate fellowship. Ongoing, like it's forever. It's the recurrent theme of 1 John, and he really talks about it like over 77 times. All who believe in Jesus, they have the love of God poured into their hearts. And if that's our heart, then what is naturally going to come out? Love's going to come out. We can love fellow Christians in a way that the world never will. Verse 8, it says, The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. I could stop right there. This God is love. You... You've grown up hearing stories about God in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Let me tell you something. When John says God is love here in the New Testament, it's the same for God in the Old Testament. God is love. It's his nature. That's where love comes from. Think about this. We think it's it's something that we do. Something it, Love comes from God. It was created by God. Everything he does comes from love. And this love, it's truly manifested in the humanity of Jesus, in the death and the resurrection, so that you and I can have life here on earth, so that we could be the light to the world, so that we could be love to the world. This sounds like an awfully warm, fuzzy message. And it is. Because that's the way God intended it to be. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. All of God's benefits come through Jesus. Now, what are the benefits? Forgiveness. 
that's only half the gospel. Jesus living in us is the other half. Like, we can sit here and teach forgiveness and have salvation and watch everybody raise their hands. Yes, forgiveness, forgiveness. But what about the fact that we're going to walk out these doors right here and there's a holy living God inside of us that says, let me live, let me breathe for you, let me walk with you. Let me just talk for you. Let me just do everything for you. What about that fact that we miss because we're just so focused on the forgiveness? I'm thankful for the forgiveness. I'm thankful. He says in verse 10, love consists in this. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus' work as a baby, as a child, as a man, as an earthly ministry, as a sacrifice for sins, completely satisfied God. He has removed our sins perfectly, perfectly. Like, he's removed your sins perfectly. He did it perfectly. Not as an atonement or a covering, but as pure forgiveness. Like, he's taken away your junk. The stuff you've done. It's over. The New Testament is absolutely unique among world religions. Typically, religion is mankind seeking God. But Christianity is God seeking a fallen mankind. Like, he pursues us. He died first for you. He came after you. He loves you. And get this. Unlike other religions... You don't have to try to be good. You don't have to get on the hamster wheel. You don't have to churn it out for Jesus. He's like, I already did it. I made you good. I made you holy. I forgave you. I made you, you are the righteousness of Christ. I'm looking at the righteousness of Christ. What did you do? (laughs) Believed. Believed. He did everything else on the cross. So stop. Just stop trying to be better because you're already good. You're solid. He sought us through our sin and our self, our rebellion, our pride, all that. He came after us. He pursued us, and he made us righteous. The glorious truth of Christianity is that God loves fallen mankind and has initiated it And maintained a life-changing contact forever. He's made it available for everybody. For God so loved the world. The world. You just have to believe. You just have to receive it. He says, dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. That sounds like a rule, but it's not. Because if you figure out how much God loved you, it's natural for you to just go out and love other people. It's going to happen. It's a natural byproduct of God loving us and you realizing that God loves you. I I got something pretty cool, something pretty special. Why wouldn't I want to share that? Come on, everybody can be Rangers fans. (laughs) Right? Right? 
Well, why wouldn't I offer Jesus to everybody? Because that's greater than a world championship. That's eternity. With a loving, living God. I'll talk about that all day. I'll sell that all day. Why? Because it's natural. It's who I am. He changed my life. He says, dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us, and his love has, is made complete in us. You know, the false prophets claim to have a vision from God or of God. Being with believers as close as we can get. I go back to this. My uh, brother, who's passed away now, and I believe is with Jesus, uh, came to know Jesus as a, a young child. In his adult life, he didn't want anything to do with Jesus. But he wanted something to do with me. And he could be very irritating and obnoxious and everything else, and it, it kind of made it hard to have a relationship with him. And at some point in the relationship, I, I know exactly when it was, but God said to me, Rusty, if... Uh, you want your brother to know about Jesus. You may be the only person that he hears it from. So love your brother. And I did. I literally flew there and met him face to face and loved him through the end of his life. And now I have the opportunity to love his family through life. Like, who else was he going to hear Jesus from? Can't, can't count on anybody else. I'm just going to love my brother. And I truly believe he's with Jesus. Verse 13, it says, This is how we know that we remain, that we abide in him. That we abide in him. When he's talking about him, he's talking about Jesus. That's the first mention of the Trinity. Watch this that we abide in him, that we remain in him, and he in us. And he has given us of his spirit. Part two, part two of the Trinity, he's given us his spirit. We remain in Jesus, he abides in us. And then we have this Holy Spirit, this Trinity, and it says, watch this, and we have seen and we testify that the Father, oh, part three. You know, Trinity's not in the Bible, it's a man-made world word. But how can you not see right here that there's three in one? It says, and we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son as the world's Savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. The inclusive term, watch this, it says whoever. Whoever. <laughs> it's available. It's there. Whoever. Not just you sitting here at Pinheads. Not you that just grew up in a Christian home. That's a great invitation. God promised redemption to the human race. That's all the way back in Genesis 3, chapter or verse 15. Started back then. He offered it. His call to Abraham was to like reach the world. You'll have many descendants. And then Jesus' death, 
it dealt with the sin problem. It dealt with the whole Old Testament sins. It dealt with the whole New Testament, New Testament church sins. It, it dealt with it. Everyone can be saved if they just respond in faith. I believe in Jesus. That's it. <laughs> That's easy. He made it simple. Yet yeah, we make it so complicated. God's word to all is, come. Come. You can be a part of God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Spirit. Just come. That, that whole word, confess, Whoever confesses that Jesus, we get that confused with confessing our sins, but I promise you, I promise you, if you look up confess after the cross, the word confess in there is more about confessing Jesus as Lord than it has anything to do with about confessing your sins. Confessing my sins is what I did when I was eight years old and he forgave me of my sins. I didn't figure that out until it was a long time later in life. I kept confessing and confessing, and it's like he died one time. I got it, Rusty. I dealt with it. If we believe that Jesus came in the flesh and that he was nailed to the cross for our sins, then we're literally given the right to become children of God. <laughs> and I said that, you know, once you're a child, you're always a child, no matter what you do. That's what I believed about my brother. Once he became a child of God, there was nothing that he could do to change that. It didn't matter what he believed later on in life. It wasn't a feeling. It was literally a commitment that God made to my brother. You're mine. We can feel all types of things, and including losing our salvation, but the feelings don't reflect the reality of what God says right here. It says in verse 16, and we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. In this, love is made complete. Complete means perfected. It's the, form, it's the Greek word of the form, teleos. It, it really means the fullness, the maturity, the completion. Not, not sinlessness. Not sinlessness. Everybody knows we still sin. But you've been made pure. You've been made holy. You've been made perfect. He says, in this, love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Boldness before the throne of God, it says in Hebrews, that we can go to the throne of God with boldness. Why? Because I'm free. He says, because as he is, so also are we in this world? Being a child of God is a reality for all Christians. We are born of God. You have a new nature. What's that new nature? God is love. Love. This means that we can be confident on the day of judgment because we're as righteous as Jesus is righteous. <laughs> Yeah, I just said that. We're no less righteous than Christ himself. I didn't do anything. He did it. If Christ is not judged, we're not going to be judged. There's no fear in love. Instead, perfect, 
perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. Now let me say this. There's a lot of anxiety and stuff and fear and people and everything else. And they take this verse right here and they say, there's, there's no fear in love. And, and granted, there is no fear in love. He, if, if he's, he's, he's literally talking about judgment. The people are fearing about what's coming up in the judgment. That's what he's talking about in context. But let me take it as it is. And it says, there is no fear in love. For those of you that deal with fear and anxiety and depression, it's in my family. I get it. I get it. He's saying, know what you know. Trust what you know. God is love. He's got you, no matter what happens. This whole thing that's going on on the other side of the world... I have no idea how it's going to end up. I know I'm supposed to be over there in a couple weeks, and that's not happening. But God, I trust you. (laughs) I trust you. There's no fear. We see all sorts of stuff happening right here in our our own country, our own city. Lord, I trust you. There is no fear in love. But he's really talking about judgment right there. He's talking about, don't worry about judgment. There's no fear. You're not going to be condemned. God is set on maturing us into his love so that no lingering fear remains. He says, we love because he first loved us. God always has taken the initiative. He started by creating us. So now, because he's taken the initiation with me... I'm, I'm going to take the initiation with others, just as God did for me. I'm going I'm to reach out to people. I'm going to love people. I'm going to care for people. Because love indwells me. If God indwells me, love indwells me. If God is love, and he's hanging out with me, why wouldn't it naturally just come out? God initiated this relationship with us. Verse 20, it says, If anyone says, I love God and yet hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. (laughs) Look, conflict is possible. I just told you about my relationship with my brother. Conflict is possible, but settled hatred is not. I, I have conflict with you. I get it, but that doesn't mean... That I don't love you. <laughs> I, I don't agree with some of you in this room. I don't agree with a lot of people out in this world, but that doesn't mean I can't love them. How else are they going to know about Jesus? If I don't love them, I don't have to agree with you, but I can love you. Why? Because Christ loved me first. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has Seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Here's the last verse. That's the last verse of that chapter in the summary. Love is the non-counterfeitable evidence of a true believer. You want to know what a true believer is? Nah, they're probably going to love people. 
I'm not saying that's everybody. But if you want evidence of who a believer is, like, come on, you, you run into people all the time that you don't know that you're just like, man, I want what they're having. And if you talk to them, I bet you anything that they probably believe in Jesus. Hate is the evidence of a child of the evil one. Gosh, did I say evident? The false teachers were literally dividing the flock and causing conflict. In God's commands, that was the command that we have, love one another. God's commands are to love him by believing in the Son and loving fellow Christians. That was back in chapter 3. He has, he has rigged this system so that our love for him is receiving and transmitting love to others. He's rigged it that way. And what I mean by rigged is he's gave, given you a new nature. He's equipped you. He's made you to love because he is love. God, I trust you with your word. I know that this was uh, written for that church in Crete, but I can't help but think that you're trying to encourage us today in this bar in Fishers, Indiana, just to love the world. I'll be of the world, be in the world. May we be a light. Be a light to the non-believers. Just love them as you loved us. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.